In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Faith is the shield we use to deflect and extinguish Satan's flaming arrows. In today's episode titled Armor, Shield of Faith, you'll see how the shield represents certain beliefs of God's promises. We're continuing the series, Spiritual Warfare, based off Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. You see the goodness of the Lord. Look around, look around. Thank you. We continue our series, Spiritual Warfare. If you have your program, you see the theme verse there, which is just part of the verse from the New International Version. Take up the shield of faith. And we'll begin back in Ephesians chapter 6 on page 946 in this Bible available here at Brookwood. We'll just read through this again, beginning at verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Do you think there's any evil to be resisted today? Is the enemy at work around us? Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. And then for today, in addition to all of these, These others were strapped on, and this one's picked up. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil, or literally in Greek, the evil one. As you've heard me say at the time of Paul's imprisonment, in what town? In Rome. And he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, And at that time, there were two different kinds of Roman shield. And we've seen movies, and you've seen the different kinds of Roman shield. There was a a small round metal shield, about two feet wide. It would be secured to the arm with leather straps, and it was used to block sword blows when when a soldier was engaged in hand-to-hand fighting. But the shield that Paul is referring to, and he uses a different Greek word, was larger, and you've seen it in, the, in our drawing and our uh, logo for this series, rectangular in shape, usually about four feet high by two and a half feet wide. And it was designed to protect the entire body of the soldier. Remember, the soldiers were considerably smaller than men are today. It was made of wood, reinforced with iron, wrapped in linen, and covered with metal or a tough heavily oiled leather. Now, soldiers would hold these shields in front of them, and they would walk close together, almost like the shields would be touching, and they would create a solid wall as they marched. And then the archers would stand behind these soldiers and their shields, and they would shoot arrows over the top into the oncoming army. And so they would march together that way as they advanced. Well, what's the spiritual meaning of the shield of faith. Well, the the NIV, which I really prefer the NIV translation for these particular parts of armor, 
because they refer to the armor of the Romans, whereas the New Living usually talks about kind of what it means to us a little bit. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So what is faith? Anybody know the Greek word? Pistis. And it can be translated into many different English words. You know any of them? Belief. Faith, of course. Reliance. Trust. But all of these words have an implication that actions will follow that behavior or that attitude. So there will be actions that will follow the trust, the belief, the reliance, or the assurance, or even the confidence. So the shield of faith, I'll give you just a a short phrase to help you remember. The shield of faith represents certain belief in God's promises. Now, the verse that we think of most for defining faith is Hebrews chapter 11, 1. Y'all are familiar with that. And in this Bible, it's on page 971. And it says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. And so faith, you see, is referring to the reliability, the trustworthiness of God's promises to us. Because our salvation is based on a promise. You say, well, it's based on what the Bible says. Yes, but we have to believe that this Bible is what it claims to be. So we live by faith, trusting what we've been told from the word, from God to us. Now, faith is the shield, and it's used to deflect and extinguish Satan's flaming arrows. The flaming arrows of Paul's days were made of cane or wood that were um, then had hemp or some flammable substance like flax that was soaked in pitch and then wound around the point of the arrow. It would be ignited, and then it would be shot. So when it would strike, the pitch would spread, and so the fire would spread on whatever the arrow had struck. To prevent that, these Roman shields were often soaked in water so that if a flaming arrow hit one of them, it would not, you know, extinguish them with the water, at least early in the battle. Satan's forces are shooting flaming arrows at us all the time. How do you think it happens? How do you, who said that? Thoughts, but where do those thoughts come from? Media over here, thoughts over here. Satan's forces whisper ideas into our ears, which enter our minds, but they also do come through the eyes. I think media actually fires a lot of those darts or arrows. And flaming arrows that are fired at us include lies, taunts, temptations, And there's a wide range of the things, but it would include unbelief about God, sudden intense anger, irrational envy, crushing guilt, extreme temptation, 
unreasonable fear and overwhelming despair. Well, how do I know when those things are coming from Satan? Because the problem is, you see, these flaming eras are experienced as our own thoughts. And since we don't recognize that they are sent by Satan's forces, we accept them as our ideas without ever identifying the true source. Some indicators that that thought has a satanic source may be the suddenness of the thought or the fact that it's inconsistent with what you usually think or feel. You see, Satan's forces know your painful past experiences. We're known very well by our enemies. And as I've taught you, we have experiences throughout our lives, but particularly when we're young, and we deduce what those experiences tell us about us and about God and about this world. But very often, the conclusions we come to are lies. But those lies stay in our minds. They become part of the flesh, and we keep that as, as a grid for interpreting everything else that happens to us in life. Demons know those experiences. They know what you believe about yourself, about God, about this world. They know the wounds. They know the triggers. And because they know that, they're so easily able with just a word, with just a suggestion, with an image, with an experience to produce negative emotions and angry actions in you. So this morning, we're going to examine Satan's strategies. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. You know, we saw a few weeks ago how Satan tempted uh, Jesus in Mark chapter 4. Well, this morning, we're going to look in Genesis chapter 3, and we'll be looking back and forth in that passage throughout the rest of this message. So you could turn there. Keep your thumb there. Those of you that are carrying one of these old-fashioned things. Now, the temptation of Adam. What, is, what does uh, Adam's name mean in Hebrew? What you say? Doesn't mean first. It means man. Yes. Adam's name in Hebrew means man. Scripture doesn't really show God naming him Adam in in Genesis. And then what does Eve's name mean? Do you know? What's somebody say back there? Woman. No, it doesn't mean woman. It it means to give life. Who was she named by? She was named by Adam. Genesis 3.20. And we're going to look at, at that exchange between the serpent and Eve to show us how Satan tempts us as well. We begin at verse 1, Genesis chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest. Now, in Hebrew, that means cunning But it's cunning in a bad sense, in an evil sense. 
It even means crafty or even clever, but none of these are good words. They're all diabolical in their, in their operation. But the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, do you notice anyone missing in verse 1? Satan's missing. The devil's missing. Revelation 12, 9 and Revelation 22 refer to the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. 1 Timothy 2, 14 in the New Living and in the Living Bible identifies Satan as Eve's deceiver. But those are about the only two translations that name him. So, was Satan involved? Well, I think Satan was involved in the temptation. Either he was masquerading as the serpent because they're linked together in Revelation, or he was using the serpent. But in the temptation of Eve and of Adam, we don't see the name Satan or the reference to the devil. Either way, the garden reveals Satan's strategies to damage our faith and to discredit God. First, Satan promotes doubt about God's guidelines. Let's continue in Genesis 3, the latter part of verse 1. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, God didn't say that they couldn't eat of any fruit. And that's the way Satan will come to you because he tries to make any of God's prohibitions as extreme. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? And she says, well, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 2, 9, that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it, but he didn't say it to her. He said it to Adam at Genesis 2, 16, before Eve was even created. Or even touch it, and God didn't say that at all. That may have been something that Adam added to warn her. If you do, you will die. Now, does Eve seem to think that God's restriction was reasonable? Does she? Yeah. She doesn't doesn't think she's being mistreated here. She says, well, no, we can... You know, the, the Satan says, or the serpent says, you can't eat from any tree. She said, well, yeah, there's only one tree we can't eat from. Seems reasonable to her. Satan knew what God had said. And he knew why God said it. But what he's doing, he's injecting suspicion of God into Eve's mind by inferring that God's limitation was unreasonably restrictive. 
Satan wants us to doubt God's directions. He wants us to think his guidelines for our behavior are unfair. They're overly strict. They're unreasonable. The devil wants you to think that God's direction in the Bible is is, is out of date. It's extreme. And if you agree with that today, then you've been listening to what the slithering one has to say. Now, God gives a promise that's related to that point, and it's found in John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. Who's the thief? Who? No. <laughs> But, it, but Satan is a reasonable guess. It's a singular word. It fits at least in the context of my message for sure. But, but in John 10, Jesus is actually referring to Pharisees or false teachers. But he told these um, false teachers that they were liars like their father, Satan. So the false teachers were carrying out the intentions of Satan, John 8, 44. So here's a question for us. By faith, do you believe God's guidelines are for your best? Now, be careful about that. Do you believe that God has given you his commands, his restrictions, his direction, his instruction to protect you? Another strategy... Satan provokes mistrust of God's motivations. Verse 4. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, this is a, is a direct lie by the serpent, but it's subtle, isn't it? Because there was truth to this. She would know good and evil. So the serpent is manipulating Eve to ask whether God was depriving her of something good. He implied that God didn't want her to have what he had. God didn't want her to be equal to him in any way. But it would seem like being like God would be a good thing, doesn't it? But knowing good and evil wouldn't be a good thing. And so God forbade Adam and Eve from experiencing it. it. The snake suggested that God was preventing this woman from gaining something good. In reality, he was protecting her from something extremely, devastatingly harmful. Have you noticed God wants you to question? Satan, excuse me, Satan wants you to question whether God is withholding something desirable from you.
If you do, those thoughts were shot into your mind at the point of a flaming arrow. See, the devil wants you to decide for yourself what you think is suitable. Verse 6, Eve did. The woman was convinced by what the serpent said. She saw that the tree was beautiful. She's assessing it for herself. And its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Those are the temptations of the world. Lust of the eyes, it looked good. Lust of the flesh, it, I bet it's delicious. And the pride of life, I want this kind of wisdom. From John, 1 John 2, we looked at that a few weeks ago. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. What was he doing? Because who was given the instruction? Him. So he was with her saying nothing and he ate it too. So what was he waiting on? What? Wanted to see if she'd die. I mean, you know anybody like that? Go ahead and try it. I'll be right behind you. So Adam ate. And 1 Timothy 2.14 says, Adam wasn't deceived as Eve was. He disobeyed deliberately, defiantly. The serpent's words interested Eve. Perhaps she thought, well, maybe God's prohibition was just a suggestion when he told Adam to avoid the fruit. You can see that, Genesis 2, 15 through 17. I mean, do we see that, did Eve denounce God? Did she say she didn't believe in him anymore? No, neither do we. She just ignored his direction and did what she wanted to do. She allowed herself to be deceived. She listened into thinking this disobedience was the right thing for her to do. You know that whatever you have done in your life, you did it because you thought it was the right thing to do. All right, go ahead and throw your stuff. I know you are. I'm not saying that you didn't later realize it was a terrible thing to do. It was a sinful thing to do. It was an immoral thing to do. It was a destructive thing to do. But at the moment you did it, you decided this is right for me. Otherwise, you wouldn't have done it. You may have regretted it later. 2 Corinthians 11, 3. She wanted what she wanted. Something that would make her more like God. But she wanted to be God's equal, not his more obedient subject. That's the sin of Satan. 
That's the new age heresy. God is within you. All right, now I'm about to make a bunch of y'all mad. We've got all this political stuff and all these videos going now. You're watching one side or the other, or I don't know. We're God's children. We're not first Democrats or Republicans. And it doesn't matter if someone lines up with what you think about vaccines and about taxes and about the borders. They're not standing with you if they start with all this stuff. You are the God of your world. It's inside you. You are the determiner. I'm not saying it's not, it's okay to hold some of these positions, but not as the motivator of your life. You follow God's word then you decide how you vote. Then you decide what you do politically, but it always comes much, much later. First decide who you are in Christ and according to his word. See, Satan wants you to decide what will make you happy. He wants you to determine what you want to experience without considering what God says. It's this type of thinking. Well, this is my life. I'll do what I want with it. But you may not be mature enough chronologically or spiritually to make that decision. This is what's going on in our culture. These teachers, whether they're college now, unfortunately, it's all the way down into elementary school. What's happening is they're teaching your children about things that violate God's word and your morals. Because they want not only for God to no longer be their authority, they don't want you being their authority. And so these things are being planted in your children's mind about gender, about um, homosexual practice, as being something they have the right to determine. And they distance you back, and they certainly distance God back. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen, but you cannot be a passive parent. Well, I can't help it. It's flooding my house. You can't stop it. Oh, you can put up a dam for sure. But you may have to cut off some of that cable, some of those cable subscriptions. Well, how could I live without Netflix? I don't know how to stop it. I have some hedge clippers you can borrow. (laughs) But listen, believers, it's time for us to wake up. We have the responsibility of guiding our homes. And we have the responsibility of not letting people manipulate us into thinking, oh, this is really okay. The, 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 drag, the drag queen thing at, for elementary schools, oh, that's okay because it's now family friendly. Homosexual marriage, it's really okay because it's all about love. No, no, what this is doing is this saying, God, you butt out of my life and parent, you no longer are my authority either. I don't trust either of you. And it's happening all the time. Not only on television, it's even happening in schools. It's happening in colleges. 
Well, you're, you're just trying to inflame us. No, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get you to open your eyes to see the world that, that unfortunately our culture is descending into. Because you cannot be lazy and passive if you want to spare your children. Sometimes you have to do it. You know, unfortunately, many years ago, a secret came out in someone's life that was connected to my family. My wife and I would talk about it in low tones. Our children would knew something, you know how your kids will know something's unsteady happening in the house. Something's unsettling. These were children then. And they always wanted to know. And, and my commitment to them was always to tell them the truth. But that didn't mean I told them the exhaustive truth of everything every time. But I always told them the truth. And so they asked, what, what, what's going on with this person's life? And I said, I will tell you when you're older. This burden is too much for you to handle now. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell them until years later. And I said, you can ask me later and I will answer you, but I'm not answering you now because this is, this is a weight for you not to bear. And folks, I want you to understand this. Sexual practice is too much of a weight to bear outside of marriage. And yet, not only American culture, but even within the American church, sexual practice among single people is very common. What used to be a kiss is now going to bed together. If you like them, you used to hope you could hold their hand or have a kiss. Now it's you have sex and you may not ever talk to them again. And that has infiltrated the church. But the only way to push it out is if we take up the shield of faith and do not allow it to come in unexamined. And don't invite it unopposed. Now I'm not saying you mistreat people, but you always stand for the truth. You never hear from me to mistreat people, but you always stand for truth. On all of these moral issues, what does God say? Because I'm telling you, the media, the culture is stripping your children away from God and away from you. God's promise that battles that attitude is found at Romans chapter 8. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If he gave you your son, won't he give you everything else that's good for you? So by faith, do you believe that God gives what's best for you? Do you believe it? All right, now you got to put shoe leather on it if you believe it. You have to act like it. Every strategy of Satan produces separation from God with sin. Verse 7.
at the moment, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Adam and Eve had been innocent. Genesis 2.25 says they were naked without shame. And for those of you that grew up in Georgia, it's naked without shame. (laughs) Did they become more like God? Did they? Yes. They did become more like God in awareness. But that awareness was something they couldn't tolerate. The same as I spoke to our daughters many years ago. They knew both good and evil because before they'd only known good, they didn't know evil. But they experienced it not in a good way because there wasn't a good way to experience it. And along with it came the experience of sin and shame and fear And this couple feared God for the very first time. When they disobeyed, they did die. But they died spiritually. I don't know that they even knew that was possible. They were so close to God. And it was like a huge separation fell. They were instantly separated from him by their sin. And they would also now die physically. Their pure souls became tainted by sin, which destroyed their intimacy with God. So they hid. Verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Again, their innocence has been shattered. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God said, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? He may be saying that to some of us today. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. He didn't own responsibility, did he? He blamed two. It was this woman and it was you that set me up for this fall. Instead of accepting responsibility. But see, it's interesting. God gave Adam the responsibility He told Adam before he created Eve, avoid this fruit. Somebody added to the prohibition. When Eve was approached, where's Adam? It says he was standing there and saying nothing. He abdicated the responsibility that he was given. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she did the same. The serpent deceived me, she replied. And that's why I ate it. She blamed also. Now, the result of this first couple's actions plunged them and us into sin. You say, well, how does that work? 
Romans chapter 5, 12 through 19. So we are born separated from God because we're tainted with sin from birth. No longer were they sinless or holy. And they were punished by God. And it included being banished from this garden. Genesis chapter 3, 22 through 24. Some of the punishment was pain in childbirth. It was having to work by the toll of, so, the, the toll of your muscles and the sweat of your brow. Making a living became hard. But that wasn't the end of the story. God called to them and he's calling to us today. And maybe he's, he's calling with, to you with specificity. Where are you? Where are you? And he offers a way back. But you see, that's why it's called reconciliation. And that's why the verse, the memory work of last week was that we are ambassadors of God and we get to say, come back to God. But look at this promise, 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Have you returned to God? Are you taking up that shield of faith, which means that you believe that Jesus' death was sufficient to remove your sin? Do you believe that? How much do you believe it? Do you, I want to hear, do you believe that? Because you have to take up the shield of faith to believe to be certain of the promise that Jesus' death is sufficient for your sin to be removed and you to be reconciled to God. And it leaves you perfect in his eyes. Now we think of the being driven out of the garden. You see the, the paintings and the shame and all, and they were that. But I want you to understand, if you read this passage, you read Genesis 3, chapter 3, what you'll see is that the reason God drove them from the garden was because the other tree in the center of the garden was, you know what it was? It was the tree of life. And if they had eaten of the tree of life in a fallen state, then they would have lived forever separated from God. So being driven from the garden, it was painful, but it was a work of grace. How many times has God wounded us as a work of grace? Took something away we wanted, and we later learned it would have destroyed us. The memory verse, 1 John 5, 4. Every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. Care volunteers will be at the front. They'll be in the care connection room. And, it, you know, if something I've said you, you don't understand, or even if you disagree with it, 
you can always you can always call me or send me something. But they're here to talk to you, and they'll continue talking to you. They'll also anoint you with oil for healing. We believe in healing. It it doesn't happen according to our demand, but God is very capable of healing fully. I mean, we're praying for Graham every day, continually for healing. I wanted to tell you as I close, as I told you before, next summer, I would be, I'll be stepping to a different role on the staff. I'm not disappearing. I'm not sick. I, I think my mind is still clear. You would be the better judge of that. But, but I'll still be here. And you know that you've heard Josh and JC preach many times in the last uh, year or two. But we have one other candidate, and he'll be speaking next Sunday, not in the same series. He'll be bringing in his own message. His name is Brian Jones, and he will be here for both services next week. Let's pray. Father, help us to take up the shield of faith. Help us to recognize when the arrows are fired our way, that we could deflect them and extinguish them, and they would not cause us to doubt you or question your motives. God, if there be someone who's separated from you, I pray that by your spirit today, you would reconcile that person with you. Teach them to hold up the shield of faith. In Christ's name we pray. Thanks for joining us for the Sunday Message Podcast. In our next episode being released Sunday, October 23rd, 2022, a guest speaker who is a candidate for senior pastor of Berkwood Church is coming to preach. Read Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46 to prepare for his message. It's titled, Power Through Surrender. You can watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or even search through the message archives. Just visit brookwoodchurch.org slash media or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast. If you like what you hear, leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening and have a great week.